We are continuing our series in the uh, book of Philippians, Philippians Unchained, the Joy Project. <clears throat> Last Sunday, we, we did not get through the outline. So uh, Joy in the Friendly Fire 4B, 4B, that's, that's the second part. Um, so anyway, let's go to the, uh, to the book of Philippians and uh, we're going to pick it up. Starting at verse 14, that's where we started last Sunday. For those of you that weren't here, this is kind of a, a little summary, a little background on, on where we came from and where we're going. Paul writes, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true. In other words, you've heard rumors, you've heard... Um, You've heard stuff. It's true. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. It's not a lie. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. And those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. How could somebody say something like that? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can carry our Bibles into this building. We can open our Bibles wherever we want and read them. And we realize that um, we have an opportunity to, to reflect you and model you, Lord, to the people around us. May we do that in an accurate way. And we're grateful that it's not by our power, it's not by our ability, but it's you living inside of us that equips us to be able to do that in a very positive way. And we pray, Lord, for people that don't know you in our circles of influence. Help us to tell them about you. Lord, that's why we're here. That's why you've left us behind once we put our faith in you. So help us fulfill that mission. Yeah. I pray for each person watching and that, that are in this building. Lord, you know everything we've been dealing with the past week, month, year. Uh, 
You know, some have come in wounded, some carry scars. You know the reasons, and so therefore, we can trust you, Lord, that you're going to heal us, you're going to empower us, not to stay in a victim mentality, but instead we walk in victory and give you honor, Lord, in all that we do. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read an article recently from Pamela Brunson. She's the mother of Andrew Brunson, who was held captive in Turkey for over two years, um, October 2016 through October 2018. And uh, she writes about his captivity. Um, the title of her article is when God doesn't meet our expectations. And I thought, man, that is so relevant to where we are living our lives. We have expectations. And I, I've told you my story many times. I had expectations and how I felt like God was going to work in my life. And because it didn't happen, I just kind of wandered, drifted spiritually because I felt, uh, you know, God forgot about me. And I'm sure many of us in this room uh, have gone through something similar. Anyway, she writes, our son Andrew was held hostage in a Turkish prison for two years. Just a heads up. Uh, what's in Turkey today? Well, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, where Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. So, so um, even in our modern world, we can go back in history and see that the Bible is real, that it, it's historical, it happened, it's not a theory, it's not a hope so maybe, no, it's, it, it happened. And so we can base our faith on facts, not crossing our fingers, not, you know, well, I hope this theory comes through. No, 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 it, it happened, friend. And so Turkey um, became very hostile during this time. Um, Andrew had lived in Turkey for 23 years. He had a church. Uh, you would think people would know him, trust him. But uh, Pamela writes, so the first year he was blindsided, the first year of his imprisonment. He had been teaching new converts about the fatherhood of God, and suddenly God didn't seem very fatherlike. Andrew had expected that when he had to suffer, God would give him comfort and a sense of his presence. But God stood back, and as with Job, allowed Satan to try him. Um, Satan tempted him in every area of his faith, like, where is your loving Heavenly Father now? Why... Why did God allow this to happen to you, man? You've been, you've been pastoring for a long time. It's not fair. You see how the enemy likes to discredit the, the character of Christ, friend? And I'm sure some of you right here right now are going through those same questions, those same spiritual attack. Where's God? There ensued a great battle between his expectations and his experience. Then Andrew made a choice to yield to God's will, even if he did not understand it. Strengthened by worldwide prayer, 
at his third trial, he confidently gave the message of salvation, forgave his enemies publicly, and declared, Blessed am I because for the sake of Jesus, many people have wronged me, persecuted me, and now I'm suffering. Andrew made the transition from expectations for God to he was looking through eternal eyes instead of temporary eyes. Is God good all the time? Is he merciful? Is he gracious? Yes, he is. But wait, is he also good? The good father God of the African Christians who whole villages are being decimated like in Nigeria. The father God of the Christians in the Middle East who are being tortured, burned alive and beheaded. Yes, yes. Yes, he's a good God. Why? Because God has eternal eyes. He takes the long view. He sees that great parade of those who have suffered marching through gates of splendor, singing the victor's song. He sees them receiving their great reward, their crowns of glory and positions of authority. They chose to suffer because they had eternal eyes. Can I just put a footnote in there? The apostle Paul was willing to suffer the way he did because he had eternal eyes. For you and I to thrive in our world today and the destination it may be going, we need to be living with eternal eyes. Yes. If we only think of God as one who will always bless us with good things, if we live for him when persecution or suffering comes, we will be blindsided. Once we were a nation founded on biblical principles and God blessed us bountifully, Bountifully, now as wickedness increases, so will persecution of anyone who stands for biblical morality. True Christians are generous, loving, moral people. Yet Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Many Christians will compromise with the culture. I don't want to be. A, I don't want to offend. I don't want to lose my job. I have a family to support. And as persecution becomes more costly, Matthew 24, 12 says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. She continues, should we fear persecution? It's only human to fear pain, but God comforts us. Luke 12, 32, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And so Pamela says he asks us to see pain through eternal eyes so, and so to stand firm. And Jesus warns us that we should be prepared. She gives um, some ex practical steps that we can prepare our family, the next generation to develop eternal eyes. So in other words, as a parent, we have a responsibility to train our children to have eternal eyes. Pamela has been a, a missionary all of her life, and so she's talking, she's familiar with uh, serving Christ in three different countries, um, dealing with a variety of suffering along the way. So I think she has wise counsel for all of us. One, when faced with pain, let God be God. Teach and practice trust that God knows more than we do. What will happen when God doesn't meet your expectations? It may be through a senseless tragedy or a disease or even rising persecution. God has mercifully given us many pictures of his love as a loving father, good shepherd, 
Prince of Peace. So, we need to settle. There are many questions that will not be answered in this life. Put tormenting doubts and fears in God's lap and fix your eyes on Jesus. Number two, read the whole Bible to your children. A half hour after supper with the whole family is a time well spent from an eternal perspective. It's difficult to know God's character without using the full revelation of himself, his holiness, his hatred for sin. He's dealing with willful defiance and disobedience, and without that, we can't fully appreciate the grace lavished on us through Jesus. Number three, help your children to see Christians as their heroes. Children have heroes. Have you noticed? Give them godly heroes to model their lives by. There are many books about believers who have lived or died for God. Um, she says her grandson just finished reading Through the Gates of Splendor, The Life of Jim Elliot. That's a good one. Jesus Freaks by the Voice of the Martyrs. That's a good one. Give them courageous role models who will come to mind when they face their own hard choices. Four, tell them about the great battle between God and his angels and Satan and his demons. Between the ages of 8 and 11, kids start to play good guys against the bad guys. What if they have to pay the ultimate price as soldiers of the cross? Hitler so prepared German youth that 93% swore to die for him, and a large number did. Is Jesus worth less? Number five, talk about eternity. When I was very young, my mother died. My new mother was a godly woman. I was about five when I asked what would happen to me if I died. She told me there were two places I could go, and I had a choice. One was a terrible place called hell, and then she told me there was a wonderful place called heaven. But to go there, I needed Jesus in my life. And from that came my vision for evangelism. I was compelled to present the gospel in three countries, and each time it was rooted in a vivid picture of heaven and hell. And there have been times when God didn't meet my expectations. I felt wounded by God and told him so. She talks about some painful things in her own family. And even in my woundedness, I have never considered turning away from God. I knew the terrible consequences. We warn our children, don't touch the stove, you'll get burned. Don't run in the street, you'll get hit by a car. Why is it we fail to warn them about the greatest eternal danger of all? Why is that? Early on, give your children that choice. Do you want wise children? Proverbs 9, 10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And number six, this is the most important of all. Ask God to help you to love him so much that no price will be too high to pay for him. So be it. What Andrew Brunson went through, we can relate to the book of Philippians because the Apostle Paul, when you read the suffering and the hardship that he had to go through along the way of living for Jesus, uh, he never flirted with the idea of walking away from his faith. And so this morning, 
I believe as followers of Jesus Christ that we need to put a spike in the ground to say, though nobody is following Jesus, I will continue to follow him. No turning back, no turning back. We need to be resolute in that commitment. And so, friendly fire. We talked about that last week, that friendly fire can happen even in church. It can even happen in life church. How do you respond when you're shot at? Um, Andrew Brunson, you know, he was getting shot at by, so to speak, the enemy of his faith. Well, how do you respond when maybe fellow believers are shooting at you? It's possible it can steal your joy, but Paul never let that happen, did he? No, no, he didn't. And so, number one from last week, what's my motive? You know, some are preaching out of jealousy, rivalry. And uh, we talked about the green-eyed monster, remember? Some of you guys carry that in your back pocket. Some ladies carry it in your purse, right? Easy to pull out the green-eyed monster when life may be challenging you with some colleagues of yours and you feel jealous that life's not fair. And you have this competitive spirit instead of celebrating maybe what God's doing in their life, you become very jealous. It's a dangerous place to be. If you're carrying around the green eyed monster today, I want to encourage you, ma'am, before the end of the day, dispense of him. Ask God to give you grace. Exchange jealousy for compassion, for God's grace. Uh, in your life, and God is able to do that. Also, we talked about a healthy motive, and um, Paul gave us that, that he was appointed. That means it's a military term that God placed him strategically where God wanted him, even in under house arrest on purpose. And... Um, and then an unhealthy motive example, verse 17, that we concluded on. Um, talking about James 3, 15, 16, these folks that were intending to make Paul's chains more painful, uh, we see that jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, un unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. If you've ever been in an environment where, I've been in places where you can sense evil, you can sense the dark side. And um, it, it's a, it, I feel very uncomfortable in those places. And so James is saying, man, if, if you're carrying around the green-eyed monster and if you're dealing with selfish ambition, you know, you've kind of put God on the sidelines and you're going after what you want, it doesn't matter what God wants, then you are um, earthly, you're unspiritual and demonic. And when you zero in on that, um, you'll find every disorder and, e and evil of every kind. In other words you're opening the door to demonic influence in your life. We're seeing, I believe, we're seeing demonic influence in our country today. Uh, from A to Z, it's, it's prevalent. 
And I'm not saying that, um, you know, to, to make you despair or become discouraged. Quite the contrary, because uh, when darkness comes, uh, the great light shines brighter. And, and that's what God, I'm telling you, it's a great time to be alive, I believe. This is a great time to be alive in, in world history. We have seen, we have seen uh, Bible prophecy, and specifically when Israel became a nation again in May 1948 for the second time following biblical prophecy, Israel does not have to become a nation again, friend. One, two, it's done. Um, we are living in the last days. That was a marker in world history when Israel became a nation for the second time. It was a tipping point. And so everything after that is, is being fulfilled. And, you know, when I was a little kid and you heard of a one world government, you thought, ah, I don't know, you know. But now you can see that's very possible, can't you? A one world leader bringing peace to the entire, yeah, you can see that. So we are living in an exciting time. And so um, that's where we, we come to our new point for today. Remember last Sunday, we talked about starting a new club at Life Church. Remember that? And we've got a bunch of clubs. Probably we should have a, a litany of clubs, a sign of all the clubs that we have here. Uh, it's almost every Sunday we start a new one. But anyway, I know you were disappointed. We never got to that new club, and, and it's possible that, that um, you're going to sign up after today, get your membership, lifetime membership, and, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. So number four in your notes, verse 18, it doesn't matter, so keep your joy. Paul says, coming off verse 17, um, man, these, these dudes are not preaching with good motives and they're selfish. Man, they want to they bring more pain to my life. And you'd say, Paul, okay, so how are you going to respond to that? Well, here's the club, friend. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, club. And we're going to have shirts in the foyer today. To uh, we, we, It doesn't matter, club. That's the club. It doesn't matter, club. Now, the thing is, if we take Paul's mindset, can, can you see the stress and anxiety rolling off your life? Because we get so occupied about my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. And then I can't sleep. <laughs> man, you go down to this abyss, man, and, and that's not how God wants you to live. Paul's example for you and I in 2021, he's saying, yeah, man, stuff is hitting the fan. Yeah, life is not fair. Maybe people aren't treating you the way you want to be treated, you know? Don't they know who I am? Paul says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't let it sink your ship. 
he's saying. It doesn't matter. Paul's saying, hey, I'm not called to defend myself. I'm called to defend the gospel. That's my purpose, to, to teach, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I get fired up about. People want to hurt me. People want to cause me pain. No problem, man. It doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter because the gospel is going forward. And did you get your card? Everybody get a card? We have a person strategically located in the auditorium. If you don't have a card, put your hand up. We want to get you a card. And um, everybody got one of these? Everybody must have one because I don't see any hands going up. Okay, all right, cool, cool. You want to take this and, and, and put it on your refrigerator or you can put it in your Bible because this is our, our good friend going against um, resistance right here, right? The reason being, when you live for Jesus Christ, we should always go forward. Paul taught us this secret when he was, in, was in, under house arrest and every other life experience that he had. It never knocked him down. It never took the wind out of him. He was always going forward with the gospel. I don't care if they threaten him. I don't care if they beat him with rods. I don't care if they stoned him. Whatever they threw at him, Paul was always going forward. He's never in retreat. He's never pulling back, always forward. And you see it in the text. Everything has helped to spread the good news. That's what he's fired up about. And so what happened? Oh, we didn't pay our electric bill. That's why. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're good, man. Hey, if we got, you know, we'd get fired up, wouldn't you? I mean, when you put your, yourself in Paul's position, they're out to hurt me, they're out to cause me greater pain, you, you'd get fired up, wouldn't you? So what do you do? You go to Paul and say, Paul, what should I do? And Paul would say, so what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Let it go. Come on, let it go. Don't, don't get offended. Don't let what people say and what they do to you hurt you. Harden your heart. Amos and Andy was, uh, it was a radio show. My uncle used to talk to me about this when I was a kid because he listened to it. It was a night radio show from 1928 to 1943. Amos was tired of Andy's constant criticism and the most irritating was Andy's finger, his index finger. He had pointed into Amos's chest, poke him all the time, man. And so one day Amos said, I can't take this anymore. And so he bought a stick of dynamite and he taped it to his chest. And he told his Fred Kingfish, the next time Andy starts criticizing and pounding his finger into my chest, this dynamite's going to blow his hand off. <laughs> Duh. What's going to happen <laughs> to our good friend Amos? He's going to get blown up in the process too, right? But he doesn't think that far ahead. 
he didn't stop to think about the price being paid for not letting things go because it doesn't matter. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates um, close friends. Um, when you're dealing with people who maybe you struggle with, they're irritating, they say things maybe that tick you off, maybe they hurt you, you need to look past their behavior for possible pain in their lives because everything we do in life is motivated by something. And when people hurt others, most likely it's because they're hurting on the inside. Hurting people hurt people. We have to remember that. And as a follower of Christ, we should be able to say, you know what, I'm going to dispense grace to this person because I don't know what they're going through right now. But I'm going I'm to show them grace. And the Bible says if we refuse to be offended by other people, that's really a marker for our spiritual maturity. It really is. The more of Christ's love you have inside of you, the less that you will become offended by things said about you or done to you. Because the love of Christ holds you together. You are secure in that love. When somebody attacks you and you feel like you got to strike back, like even in a marriage, you know, where your spouse may say something to you and you have to defend yourself because don't you know who I am? I'm important in this family. To be able to say it doesn't matter because I know who I am in Christ. That's my security. I don't have to defend myself. And that's exciting. <laughs> the less love you have in your heart, the more insecure you feel, and it's easier for you to be offended. So don't let that happen. Allow God to pour his love into you. Be a vessel, man, full of his love. And choose to refuse to be offended. That's, that's very important. So... Famous boxer James Lightout Tooney. I don't know if you guys follow boxing at all. He was known for his aggressiveness in the ring, 1988 to 2017. Man, he fought like a man possessed. He had a brutal punch, and for many years he was the middleweight champion of the world. Well, one day after one of his victories, a reporter came up to him and asked him, James, what, make, what makes you so good? Why do you fight with such tremendous aggression? and passion in the ring. Well, the reporter had expectations and how James would respond, you know, well, you know, I'm just competitive. That's who I am. I love the box. No, that's not what Tooney said. He said, do you really want to know why I fight with such anger and aggression? And the reporter said, yeah, I want to know. This is what he said. It's because my dad abandoned me when I was a child. He left me and my brothers and sisters alone, fatherless, to be raised by my mother all by herself. And now when I step into the ring, I picture my dad's face on my opponents. And I have so much hatred, so much anger toward him, I just explode. You know, there's a lot of men walking around like that today. Just ticked off. 
And if you drill down a lot of times, it's because of their broken relationship with their dad. And it impacts their relationship with Almighty God, their Heavenly Father. And Tooney was driven by his anger. He let bitterness get a deep hold on him, and he's poisoned by it, contaminated, man. He had the applause of the crowd, the acclaim of the sports world. But, man, he was miserable. He's miserable inside. Paul is saying, this is what Paul is saying to us. It doesn't matter. We should be so passionate about people hearing the gospel that friendly fire is like water off the duck's back. And how many of you have ducks in your backyard? Right? <laughs> it's no big deal. He says... It doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Yeah, Paul, I want to do that. I, I want to rejoice when stuff like that happens. And the great reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century was the leader of the Reformation. Man, it, that was a big wake to carry, by the way, in Europe and with all that responsibility, Luther, all, all, you know, just a lot of times became overwhelmed with bouts of despair and gloom. And he was at one of his low points in his life where joy kind of walked out on him. And his wife came into his office one day dressed up in black as though she was going to a funeral. And Luther looked up at her and said, who died? And she said, God. And Luther said, woman, don't talk that way. And she said, then don't live that way. It's a message for each one of us to be reminded, yeah, we can have challenges in this world, in this life, but God is still on the throne. And he is still worthy. of our praise, of our honor. And if we remind ourselves of that, that's where joy becomes that anchor, no matter what happens. And Paul is basically saying, hey, there's no point running around checking people's motives if you can't see their hearts anyway. It doesn't matter. God's big enough to handle it. And even if their motive's not the greatest, the message about Christ is being preached. That's what I'm excited about. That's where my joy comes from. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and there's times, hey, there's times um, somebody, people may be causing disunity in a church somewhere in the world, and those folks need to be confronted to, to uh, keep unity alive within that body. That's very important for sure. Rick Warren, we hit this a little bit last week in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, um, Protecting Your Church uh, chapter puts it this way. It's your job to protect the unity of your church. It's your job, all of you, all of you watching online here today. It's your job. Unity in the church is so important that the New Testament gives more attention to it than either heaven or hell. God deeply desires that we experience oneness and harmony with each other. Unity is the soul of fellowship. Destroy it and you rip the heart out of Christ's body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred for resisting the Nazis, wrote a classic book on fellowship, Life Together. And this is what he wrote. 
He suggests that disillusionment with our local church is a good thing because it destroys our false expectations of perfection. The sooner we give up on the illusion that a church must be perfect in order to love it, the sooner we quit pretending and start admitting we're all imperfect and need grace. This is the beginning of real community. So in other words, friend, if you're looking for a perfect church, you're never going to find it. Life church is loaded with imperfect people. We may be imperfect, but we are, we are on a mission to become more and more like Christ. Friend, let's pursue that together. I challenge you to accept your responsibility to protect and promote the unity of your church. Put your full effort into it and God will be pleased. It will not always be easy. Sometimes you will have to do what's best for the body, not yourself, showing preference to others. That's one reason why God puts us in a church family to learn on selfishness. In community, we learn to say we instead of I, our instead of mine. God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, don't think only of your own good. Think of other Christians and what is best for them. So the question to consider, Rick says, what am I personally doing to protect unity in my church family right now? Good question, isn't it? Is that a good question? <laughs> you bet. You bet. It's good. So Paul's telling us, man, we need to be gracious with people. And we need to know, remind ourselves that the gospel is being spread. Yeah. So let's give those people the benefit of the doubt. And uh, Paul, you know, he's saying, hey, I'm not in ministry to get acclaims, you know, to get monuments made of myself. Uh, I'm not serving the Lord to look good for others. No, I'm not doing that. My motive, you know, is to serve Jesus Christ with a pure heart. What's your motive, friend? What's your motivation? Why, why do you do what you do for the Lord? To try and get on a better side of him? To get brownie points? To get a bigger plaque in heaven with your name on it? Hopefully not. Because you love the Lord, that's why, right? That's why. And I can tell you, man, folks at Live Church, they serve because they love the Lord. It's fun to watch. It is. It's fun. And Paul's saying, I'm not going to spend my time worrying about what so-and-so is doing. You know, what Frank's doing over here. I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm going to let God defend me, and that's going to be it. So here's the question. Here's a good question. You can have wrong motives, but still be used by God. Have you noticed that? Hmm? Yeah, um, there was a renowned world communicator for the gospel. And after he died, all of this stuff is coming out where he was really corrupt and vile. And the question is, you can have wrong motives, but still be used by God. This man was still used by God. How can that be? Because here it is, the power is in the message, not in the messenger. The power is in the message, not the messenger. And so you can settle that. And 
And Paul says that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul is saying that things in the past will not, I will not allow them to rob me of my joy. I'm not going to let it happen. And, and you know his story, man. Over and over again, life was not fair. And he's saying, the stuff that happened to me, I'm not going to let it rob me of my joy. And then he turns to the future in that same verse, and he says, I will continue to rejoice. Looking into the future, even though he doesn't know the future, even though he doesn't know what's going to happen to him in the future, he says, he's making this declaration, I will continue to rejoice. Now, what's that about? That means joy is a choice. You and I choose whether we're going to have joy or we're not going to have joy. We get to choose how we're going to respond to stuff that hits the fan in our life. Is it going to rob my joy or am I going to keep my joy? Paul is putting a marker in the sand saying, I will never lose my joy no matter what happens to me. And man, he said it on the front end with all that bad stuff that happened to him. He's speaking from experience. There is something about, you've heard me say it, I am committed to finishing strong spiritually. If you don't talk about it, if you don't think about it, life will push you where it wants to take you. Personally, I think a man and woman of God, we need to declare it publicly. I don't care what happens, I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to cross the finish line strong for the power and, and, and the, uh, the authority of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. That should be in the dialogue of the life church folks, man. You know, right? I'm going to finish strong and I will continue to rejoice. Paul's saying, hey, you're trying to discourage me. You're trying to cause me more pain. Guess what happens? When he's under house arrest these two years, you know what he does? He writes the letter of Philippians. He writes Ephesians. He writes Colossians and Philemon. That's how he gets back at those folks. You want to discourage me? You want to take the wind out of my sail? Oh, man, God's going to use me. That's what I'm fired up about. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep writing letters to the churches, man. We get to read those letters today. Let's go forward. Let's go forward. I don't know where you're at in your life right now. Life. <laughs> I know some of you don't like the cold, you know. And the cold has kind of caused despair in your life. Well, guess what? Spring is right around the corner. Right? Right? We get to turn our clocks ahead in a couple of weeks. Life can, can beat you up. Paul is saying, life, things were thrown at me. I didn't plan on. God allowed it but I kept my joy through it. I'm looking down the road here into the future. 
not for just this year, but I'm looking into the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I will continue to rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will continue. They tried to slow me down. They tried to take me down, man. But I am moving on. I am going forward. I am going forward. Nothing will slow me down for the cause of Jesus Christ. God is using me. That's what Paul's saying. God's using me. Let God use you. Embrace that. We have a decision to make, all of us, man. Am I going to let life make me bitter? Like the great boxer, Tooney, you know, bitter, angry. Are you going to live your life like that? How can you praise God when you're bitter and angry at the world? You can't. You can't. We need to cultivate joy and gratitude to the Lord so that we can have that mindset, that attitude all the time. Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to see it through eternal eyes. Lord, give me eternal eyes so I can be faithful to you. Lord, we thank you this morning for it doesn't matter. Lord, we, we take, sometimes we just take things so seriously we lose our joy. And we can ask ourselves, when was the last time I laughed, man? Maybe, maybe I need to readjust my attitude. Maybe I need to change my perspective. Maybe I need to look at Paul's example. That even though I don't know what's going to happen in the future, I will continue to rejoice. I'm going to do it. Not that I'm going to work it all up on the inside, but Lord, it's because I'm resting in you. I'm trusting you. My life is in your hands. And Lord, you're giving me eternal eyes to see life as you see it. Help me to take full advantage of the opportunities you bring us, Lord. Help us to walk away from the victim mindset. Instead, the mindset of a victor. I am a victor by the grace of God. God is going to use me, and God is using me to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, thank you today for Paul's example and the opportunity we have to join that club with Paul. It doesn't matter. And so, therefore, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. I pray for every person watching, every person here this morning, that you will help us, Lord, to do an attitude check. Where are we locked in? Where are we going? Lord, give us the grace. Give us the grace to walk in freedom with you. In Jesus' name, amen.